Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, my guest is one of my AP colleagues. Josh Dubow is an AP sports writer based in the California Bay Area. He covers a little bit of everything out there, NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and... Stanford and Cal. Josh is also a Michigan alum. So we are going to talk about Jim Harbaugh. We're going to talk a lot about Jim Harbaugh. Last week on the show, I had Bruce Feldman and Stuart Mandel of The Athletic talk about their top 25 coaches list. And of course, Harbaugh took up a big chunk of that show. I would say he is the most polarizing figure in college football. But after last year, I'm not sure that that's accurate. I don't know if there are that many staunch Harbaugh supporters left. I want to get Josh's take on Harbaugh's tenure, where the Michigan fan base is on Coach Jim, and whether there is a path to Harbaugh finally coming close to fulfilling the promise he brought to his alma mater when he was hired in 2015. We'll also talk to Josh about Harbaugh's former employer, Stanford. David Shaw's program had a bit of a bounce back last season, but is it fair to wonder if the Cardinal will ever be able to recreate the success they had in the early to mid-2010s? Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast, Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you like to get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, give us a good review and a rating. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. If you'd like to email the show, send questions and comments to AP Top 25 Mailbag. That is AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. And away we go. My guest this week on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast is my AP colleague and friend. We, Gosh, it was a long time ago when we worked together in New York, Josh. Josh Jabau is one of two Bay Area, California Bay Area-based sports writers for the AP. So he covers a little bit of everything, pro football, hockey, baseball, basketball, uh, along with his wife, Janie McCauley. Josh, thanks so much for joining me today. But he also covers Stanford and Cal, and Josh is also a Michigan grad. So we want to get into some Michigan stuff. Josh, thanks for joining me today. Good to be on with you, yes. Uh, the other thing I should point out about Josh is Josh had my job before I had my job. The last one year, I yeah, had, I had one year on the beat. <laughs> yeah, the last AP college football writer before me was Josh. Uh, then Josh, uh, for personal and professional reasons, moved to the West Coast and has lived happily ever after since then. And I was lucky enough to uh, be elevated into this position. So, to, to a certain degree, thank you, Josh. Thank you, Josh, for I, falling I in love with Jamie. National championship, Ralph. <laughs> What's that? I covered the last split national championship we'll ever have. Oh, that's right. One year. One year, yeah, I had the the USC LSU split. So that that that, that was a, that was and and maybe the right as you said, maybe yeah. the last one we will ever have, right? Yeah. So yeah, one year and one and two champions. There you go. All right. So again, your. Uh, I, I wanted to tap into your Michigan background because last week on the podcast, uh, myself. Uh, Stuart Mandel, Bruce Feldman, we went through their top 25 coaches list. And of course, you know, Harbaugh is just the most polarizing figure in college football. <laughs> you either, 
I, I, you know, the funny thing is, I was going to say you either love him or hate him, but at this point, I'm not even sure how many people love him. So let's start with that because I, I, you take an interesting perspective on this because a, you know, college football. B, you are a Michigan alum. I, you know, I, I don't, I never sense that you are a a passionate fan like we we view typical passionate fans, but. You're also not somebody who covers the team, so I think there is still some fandom there. Right. Is, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Is there, like, when I say you either love or hate Harbaugh, do, is, are there people still left who love Harbaugh? Who, are there I'm Michigan sure that, fans yeah, who I'm do? Not, I don't get the sense that there are people left who love him. It was interesting because early on, usually in college football, you know it, where it's like, you know, fans of a program are like, we got to fire our coach. He's horrible. We're only going nine and three. We should be winning national championships. And, and like media on the outside, it's like, oh yeah, you're probably a nine and three, ten and two, eight and four kind of school. Like, don't be so demanding. And Michigan was weird because it's sort of the other way around. I think it was an, early on, the national media was like, Harbaugh's failing. You know, why isn't he winning national championships? Why isn't he going to the playoff? And fans at Michigan, I think for the most part, were pretty satisfied. And then I would say probably, I think the turning point was probably the 2018 Ohio State game because up until then, the tenure was you know fairly successful. 2015 was his first year was pretty good. Um, outside of the pun against Michigan State, you know, um, the second year it's the JT Barrett spot. It's the difference between maybe going to the playoff and winning the Big Ten and and not. Um, and then seventeen was down a little bit, but eighteen they go in their Ohio State and they're favored. And if they win, they were going to go to the Big Ten championship. And then Ohio State just blew the doors off them that that game, and it hasn't been the same since. Like they haven't been. Yeah, they had a couple good wins in nineteen, but they, it's it's really gone downhill since that point. And I think the frustration has gone up among fans is the fans I know. So um, that, that kind of seems to be the turning point of that game right there. What was your um, perspective on the fact that they did not part way? Like were, were you, I, I personally wasn't particularly surprised because I, I, I just, I do know Michigan sort of functions in a way that's not typical of a lot of college football programs and the idea of firing a coach and paying a though it wasn't a huge buyout, but paying a bit right. of a buyout during a pandemic is probably not the Michigan way. Um, but what was your impression on how it was handled last year, his contract situation, and and what it will be going forward? I would say after the Indiana game, about that, about that point, I think most people were, that I knew were like, okay, it's over. This isn't this isn't going to work anymore. Time to move on. I know for me, by the end of the season, I, was like, I sort of got to the more resignation state. It's like, are they going to find someone? Like, who are they going to hire that's going to be that much better? Is it worth, you know, running it back, one, you know, another year or two with him and see if you can turn it around? And I kind of came around to, to, you know, the tack they took and, and bring him back. And they were able to do it at a reduced salary, which I'm sure they were happy about. Doesn't That doesn't impact me. But, um, you know, I just don't know what, what their option was. You know, I don't know. You know, it's Matt Campbell going to come in and, you know, change everything. And, and to be honest, Matt Campbell's still available if you want to do that next year, probably. So, you know, it didn't seem like there were a lot of options out there for them. And so I think they sort of just went with, eh, might as well run it back. It was a pandemic year. Who knows why I spend the money. And, you know, I think that sort of was the stance. I don't know if it'll be the right, you know, we'll see if it's the right move. Um, it, it seems like things have turned up a little, you know, the recruiting class, he did okay. He's brought in some new assistants. We'll see what that does. But, um, you know, definitely. I would say definitely. There were, there were points in the season when they were when you're not competing with Indiana, where it's like, okay, maybe it's time to move on from this. 
that that sounds a little apathetic, Josh. I mean, I, I think that can, in some ways can be the worst thing to happen. In, in in some ways, it's better for your fans to be passionately upset and angry than they are to be a little apathetic. And I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that you speak for everyone, because right. I'm sure there there are a lot of fans who are just completely apoplectic over the fact that like they did not get rid of Harbaugh. But uh, I guess do do you? Do you sense any feeling, and maybe just from yourself, of like m- maybe this is like if if Harbaugh can't do it, who can? Because I, I I did I did if you're saying, well, will Matt Campbell be able to do it? I, you know, there is a little bit of a sense, like you know, Harbaugh's got a good track record that go- kind of goes back to the idea of like where you rank him in the top twenty five. Like I don't think he is a bad football coach. So is it a little bit of like, well, maybe this is just who we are? Well, I think if you look, I looked a couple things up, and basically, Michigan under Harbaugh has been what Michigan, you know, from 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 the year before Bo arrived through when Lloyd Lloyd's last year. So that's 40, 40 seasons. Every year, Michigan was in the top ten at one point in that season, and I believe that's the only team who's ever done that. Um, we have to have Paul Montel track down Paul Montel to look that one up. <laughs> now, just but to be clear, can, like right, I, I, that, that doesn't mean they finished in the top ten. That just yeah, means that just, some point at some during point, the season they season, were right. in the top. At some 10. point every season you felt good about it. It's like, oh, we're in the top ten. You know, hey, we got a chance. Like at some point every season for forty years, whether it was preseason and you lose to Appalachian State, and maybe you don't get back there. I can't remember if they got back there that year or if it's late in the year or for a week in October or for the whole year. They were top ten every year. And I don't, I couldn't find any other school who'd done that for forty years, um, and not any that were really that close to 40 years. So, and then when Lloyd leaves, they get in the top 10 once under Rich Rod and Brady Hill. One season they get there. And with Harbaugh, they've outside of the pandemic year, uh, his first year, they'd never gotten to the top 10 because of the punt against Michigan state. But the other years they all got in there. They were sort of in that, in that range. And I think the biggest difference is he's not competing against John Cooper and Jim Fessel's Ohio state. Like Ohio state has gone to a different level. I think it's the bigger like, I don't think Michigan has necessarily fallen that much from where they were under Lloyd Carr toward the end. I think the difference is Ohio State is just playing a completely different on a completely different level. Um, and I think that's where I don't know if there's a coach that can get Michigan to that level. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't know that how many schools can, can get to that level consistently that Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, you know, just in terms of the players they're bringing in and the programs they have. I, yeah, I think that to me, I don't know what you think, but that to me is the biggest difference is, you know, Michigan, for the most part, is pretty similar to what they were under Lloyd Carr um, and better than they were under Rich Rod and Brady Hope, but Ohio State is on, on, on another level. Yeah, I've, I've written that and I, that I mean, I, I've been a big Harbaugh defender, frankly. I, I feel like I think I think I've been uh, among national media members probably held out on him as long. Listen, even in my, you know, not so serious top 25 coaches list. Right. I think I have Harbaugh right. number 20 because I still remember not that long ago. Like it's it's not that long ago that he took a Stanford program that was trash. I mean, yeah, that I, covered was, that. I covered that 2006 Stanford team. That was as bad a football team. As I've covered, I went covered I think, every home game that year, and the thought there was Stanford should not even be playing Division One football anymore. But by that point, it's like, can, should Stanford drop Division One football? Not like who, who the next coach should be. Um, and to go from there in 2006 to 2010, when they, you know, were a top five team, and if it were the playoff era, probably would have been in the playoff that season, and might very well have been able to compete with Oregon and uh, Auburn that season. With Andrew Luck and all that, you know, to do that in this shorter period of time, he did was, was amazing. Now, the issue, I think, the issue of going to Michigan is 
you know, I think everyone thought when he when Harbaugh got to Michigan, he just helped Andrew Luck develop into the number one pick in the draft, resurrected Alex Smith's career, helped Colin Kaepernick become a you know a very good for at least a, a period of time NFL quarterback. So he's like, okay, he's gonna get to Michigan, he's gonna develop quarterbacks. At Stanford and the Niners, he had strong offensive line, you know, dominant offensive lines and built that way. Okay. He'll do that at Michigan. And certainly neither one's really happened. Mm-hmm. You know, he hasn't developed a quarterback at all. Um, you know, they haven't had, you know, you know, now, you know, it used to be uh, sometimes the top teams didn't have court, you know, Alabama was doing it and Ohio State were doing it with not NFL prospect quarterbacks. And now they're, they're getting NFL prospect quarterbacks and Michigan's getting guys for a year, transfer guys for a year here, a year there. And it basically hasn't had a, a good quarterback since, you know, Demar, Demar Robinson's a little different, you know, he's mm-hmm. different style, but it has not had a pro style quarterback that was any good since Chad Henney. So it's been a while. Yeah, and, and, he, and I don't think anyone thought that Harbaugh would go in and not be able to develop a quarterback in what, in six seasons, struggle on the offensive line in year six, and do, and then like the things like that. I think that I think that's been the the befuddling part about it. It's okay. Like, this is what you were supposed to be good at. This is what you're supposed to be able to do is is you know recruit the quarterbacks. They're going to want to play for you. You know what's going to take to get them to the NFL. Develop them like you've done build an offensive line like you've done and and that part has just been you know that, that's been really lacking yeah and to get back to your point on ohio state you know i i i very much agree with you again like i i've supported harbaugh a lot and probably defended him more than most but with the with the backdrop of you don't understand like ohio state has become a rocket ship this is this is not i mean ohio state i we you know i think anybody who follows college football ohio state is the bulletproof program. No program has had a longer history of success than Ohio State. Not to say that they're always the best program, right. but Ohio State's history suggests that like it is very rarely bad. The Ohio State doesn't have dips that almost every other major football blue blood has had these, you know, has had these blips on the radar where they've had, you know, dips in performance. Ohio State's never had them. And there's reasons for that that related to having a whole state, a whole good football state to yourself to recruit from. Um, and Ohio is a better place to recruit than Michigan right now. Right. Um, so there's all those factors, but you're right. Ohio State has become this, you know, one of the two or three superpower programs in college football. And Michigan just hasn't been able to keep pace with that. Like, I'm not sure if but there, that's... But there's no reason Michigan shouldn't be able to be Notre Dame like, and, and could be on that. Like, Notre Dame is not on Ohio State's level, but there's no reason that Michigan shouldn't be able to play at that level at this point. And, and, and they were, they've been fairly close though. Like Michigan, if yes. you look at, if you look at Michigan and Notre Dame during Harbaugh's time, I mean, right. they've only played a couple of times, but they think they've won, they've split right during Harbaugh's time. Um, believe, yeah. and, and, they, and, you know, the similar profiles until last year where Notre Dame goes to another playoff and Harbaugh has a losing season. Right. And you know, it is, even if you're not the better team, you know, look at Auburn is not the better team than Alabama, but Auburn finds a way. Every right. four or five years to win one of those games. Right. Like you have to win, you have to win, you know, you don't have to necessarily be what you were when John Cooper was there and win the Ohio State game almost every year, but you've got to win it sometimes. <laughs> you, you can't never win it and you can't not be competitive like you weren't the last two years either. Like, um, I think that's where the issues come in. It's not, okay, you're not going to go whatever it was, 10, 2 and 1 against John Cooper, like Lloyd Carr was, whatever, whatever those numbers were. And, and, you know, beat them every year, but 
you know, beat them once maybe. <laughs> That'd be nice. Like, right. Right. Too much to ask. Right. And it, it hasn't been particularly competitive in the last, in, in recent, though obviously it didn't play last year, but you know, 18 and 19, right, 18 and 19 were yeah. not. Yeah. And, were, and especially that you're right. And the 18 year, and I covered that game. That was, that was really start. That was the first time I met, remember like sitting back going like, Oh, like this, maybe this Harbaugh thing is not going to work out. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that was clearly the tournament. They go in, they're favored going to that game. Yes. Right? I, I, yeah. They're favored. And if they win that game, they're going to the Big Ten championship and have a chance at the playoff. Right. And, and, and they get 62 points or whatever it was. Um, you know, that, <laughs> that, and they haven't been the same thing because, you know, 19 is not, they ended up being in the race in 19 and things, but, you know, they, that was the year they struggled to beat Army. They got blown out. Never even showed up against Wisconsin. Um, yeah, yeah, had the win against Notre Dame that year, but like, or you know, lost to Penn State and then got blown out again by Ohio State. They they weren't they, they weren't a, you know they were competitive in some games and but they weren't a great team in nineteen. Like they definitely slipped from nineteen from eighteen to nineteen. But you know, up until up until that Ohio State game in eighteen, it was like okay, basically Harbaugh had done a pretty good job, and it was like two fluke plays away from doing a, a great you know. The punt against Michigan State, and you know, makes the 2015 season a little different. And then the spot, the JT Barrett spot, since 18, it hasn't. Since that game in 18, it hasn't even been close. So, like that, there's been nothing that you can hang your hat on and say, okay, this is getting better. We're we're competing, you know, we're close. We're you know, a fluke play away. Now like, it it has not. Yeah, they've gotten blown out in a couple games. It's it's just not been not been good since that point. So when you look at this, do you see any reason for Hope now. One of the things I've pointed out, and you know, listen, I'm not a recruiting guy, but they were, had a pretty nice recruiting class last year, and I, I think it's interesting to put it like next to comparison to Penn State, right? Penn State had a had a had a bad year last year. It was a weird year. They sort of got their footing toward the end, and you were able to listen. Penn State fans weren't happy with James Franklin last year, but I think there was also this like, well, we've been going in the right direction. Last year was a pandemic year. We won a bunch of games at the end. I think we'll be okay. But what raises red flags for Penn State and Penn State fans is that they didn't recruit that well last year. Now things seem to be getting a little better this year's class that they're being worked on. Whereas Michigan, for all the problems with Harbaugh practically being almost like a lame duck and the fact that they didn't play well on the field, they had a pretty nice recruiting class. So, and they have all these young assistants now. So they're going a completely different direction as far as that's, that goes. Do you sense, you know, any reason to think like, well, maybe last year was a recalibration and we could have sort of what Notre Dame did under Kelly, right? Have that like very bad right. season. You sort of wipe everything clean, go back to the drawing board and emerge as a, as a better program. Yeah, I, I think it's possible, you know, um, I'm a little delusional as a fan. So I go into every Ohio state game other than maybe the rich ride era, thinking Michigan's going to beat Ohio state. Um, and have been proven wrong almost every year for the last 15 years. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think, I think there's a, there's a chance, but it depends. They need to develop a quarterback. Like that's like, that hasn't happened. You know, will JJ McCarthy be the guy? We'll see. Um, you know, but until you, until you develop a quarterback who, you know, you went from, I got this. I started Michigan in 1990. Every quarterback who played for 18, every quarterback, every quarterback but one who started a game at Michigan for 18 years ended up starting a game in the NFL, except Scott Dreisbach. 
Since then, they haven't had a quarterback to start a game in the NFL. Since wow. Chad Henney. Wow. Like, you got to have, like, you know. And now more than ever, right? I mean, and that, that, ever, and that right? was like, a time when you could just turn around and hand off. You should have an NFL style quarterback. Like, yeah. It was possible back then. You can't now. Yeah. Um, like, like, and they just haven't, they haven't had one. Um, and until they get one, I don't, none of it's going to really matter until, and that's what Harbaugh was brought in to be able to do. Like that, like th- that's the befuddling part to me is that he was, that's what he was supposed to be able to do. Like that part was like, okay, he's done that. Like we can count on him to do that. You know, pro style quarterbacks, where are they going to want to go? Though? Oh, they're not going to want to go to a spread team. You know, who's not running the NFL. Stuff. They're going to want to go to Harbaugh. He knows what it takes to get into the NFL. And it hasn't had, you know, he's brought in transfers. He's brought in, you know, now, now he's got, now he's got to recruit, but let's see, you know, he's got to develop someone. <laughs> like, they're not going to have success unless they can develop uh, a quarterback, at least, you know, is an NFL prospect. They just haven't had that. If you open up the Michigan schedule this year and you start looking at it and you thinking like, not okay, not just a realistic, how, how will they play, but sort of how does this whole thing play out? In other words, do you find yourself thinking this will be Harbaugh's last stand? Um, and we'll see what happens. But most like, are you leaning towards like, oh, this will be just we'll play it out this year, but this will most likely be his last year. And again, I, I talked about like, you know, do you see reasons for hope? But, you know, uh, project ahead to me, not only how you think they'll do on the field, but whether they will like th- that that will translate to, oh, where we have a renewed hope in Harbaugh and we're moving forward with him, or is it just playing out the string? I think the Washington game will be sort of a, a flashpoint for that. They play them in week two. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you beat Washington, the other non-conference games, like Western Michigan and Northern Illinois. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, if you beat Washington at home, which definitely should be doable, um, you know, it's not a given, but it's not Washington's not a powerhouse. Like they should be, on par at least you know then then, you know then you're looking you can get off to a a good start and then you should at least be competitive in the big 10 you know the big 10 schedule until you play ohio state shouldn't you know you should be able to win a good number of those games and and if you're going to the ohio state game at uh nine and two or something then i think harbaugh's fine if you lose the washington game i just it's going to set the narrative that okay this is on borrowed time if you don't turn things around quickly. And then if, you know, then if you're going to Wisconsin and losing in October and then, you know, end up losing another game before Ohio State and now you're eight and three going to Ohio State and get blown out, then, you know, I think it could be on, on borrowed time at that point. But I think, you know, I think if you win the Washington game, I think it sort of will give back hope a little bit. Um, and then, you know, we'll see if that, how long that lasts. But I think if they, you know, if they lose the Washington game early, they'll just be, okay, we're, We've not reversed what's going on. So yeah, if you beat Washington, you're probably four and zero because I mean, though right. <laughs> I well, mean, Rucker, yeah. <laughs> what happened with Rutgers last year? But you'd like to think that Rutgers in the Big House this year is right. is a win, uh, right. and you're four and zero going to Wisconsin, Wisconsin. Which, which has been a, a you know in some ways as big a, a, an interesting barometer type game for Michigan too, right? Because uh, Wisconsin's had they they've beaten up. Michigan a couple of times, but there's also been a couple of points where Michigan beat up Wisconsin. I mean, yeah, I, but Wisconsin and, and Penn, if I recall, most of that's been the home road series. The Wisconsin and the Penn State ones for the most part, right? Michigan's Wisconsin done and pretty Penn well State. at home yeah. and not done well on the road against that. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, so, what, and they have, and they have Wisconsin and Penn State on the road this year, the way the schedule breaks. So, what, one um, of the interesting things about Harbaugh, and again, when I have been defending him, and, and I've used this analogy even on last week's show, was the idea that he is in some ways a rod, right? Like, and as a right. Yankee, and as a person who's a New York baseball fan and lived here, it's that idea that anytime a rod failed, it was a big spot, right? He, so, but anytime he came through, it, it wasn't a big spot. So Harbaugh only, any game Harbaugh loses is a big game, but none of his wins are big games. I've always felt like that wasn't fair because, again, they've, they've got some wins against Wisconsin and a win against Notre Dame and a win, wins against Penn State. You're right. They're always tend to be at home. Um, but he just never ever like he, he was basically only judged on his failures. And, uh, and again, like I'm, I'm not as much of a defender as he, as he, as I, of uh, that I, maybe I used to be. Um, but I can't, again, I can't, I can't get out of my mind the Stanford. I can't get out of my mind the Super Bowl, right? I mean, he right. took a, you know, and you covered those teams too in the Bay Area. You know, when he took over the Niners, they weren't good. Like they got, and they got oh, good, they and they got yeah, good they fast. So give me a little, yeah, like, you know, take us back to that time. Yeah. He comes in the Niners. They have been, they have been about a seven year run of not having a winning record, not being real good. Alex Smith had been, what was it, five, about six years into his career and looked like a complete bust. Like it looked like maybe, you know, career over. He's never going to get a starting job again. Harbaugh comes in. It's the lockout year. You have no off season at all. And, you know, they come back from the lockout and they bring back Alex Smith as a starting quarterback. And it's like, this is crazy. Like, what are you doing? Like, and he turns Alex Smith into, you know, not a star, but a capable NFL quarterback. And they go to the NFC championship game in, in year one, you know, from being a, a horrible franchise. They go to the NFC championship game and are two fumbled punts by Kyle Williams away from going to the Super Bowl. Um, and then, you know, year two, Brick is going to switch over to Kaepernick midway through the year, go to the Super Bowl, lose at the end. Year three, it's the, you know, NFC Championship game, lose at the end in Seattle. So you know, three straight trips to the NFC Championship game with a team who had been horrible before he got there. Makes Alex Smith a capable NFL quarterback, develops Kaepernick. Right? You know, when he, when he, when he got hired at Michigan, I think, I think it was pretty clear. You know, I think part of it's why he's been judged so harshly, I think, by people outside Michigan is, I think everyone thought that it was going to be, okay, you got Saban, you got Urban, you got Harbaugh. The, you know, those are going to be the three top programs. Mm-hmm. You know, Clemson, Clemson wasn't there at that, at that. You know, 2015 Clemson hadn't quite reached where they were, and was like, okay, you know, Harbaugh's going to be right up there with Saban and Urban, and you know, it just hasn't been close to that. Like, you know, he's had he's had moments. He's had you know, 2016 parts of 2018 season, sure, but um, you know, I think the bar was set pretty high, uh, and he hasn't come close to to where the bar was set. And you know, I will say, you know, the first few years, I think he. If you look at it objectively and don't look at what the expectations were, you say, okay, that's pretty good. He took a program that was struggling, made them a competitive team that's, you know, in the top 10 every year and at least going into the Ohio State game with a chance and playing down to the wire against Ohio State in 2016 and, and all that. But it, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten more, you know, that's, you know, if you're on a trajectory of improvement, you'd be like, okay, but the trajectory is the other way. And we talked a ton about Harbaugh. Um, and what he did, not to what he's done at Michigan, but also what he did at Stanford, which was a remarkable, as you said, it was one of the worst football programs in the country. They were really truly wondering out loud whether Stanford should be considering playing football. So he 
turns it around at, at Stanford, hands it over to David Shaw. And for several years, Stanford is the model program, is really the, the power of the Pac-12 along with Oregon. And, and even better than Oregon, like they were one of the few teams that were beating Chip Kelly's Oregon teams. And that has fallen off in recent years. Now, the relationship between Shaw and Harbaugh and, and the simple fact that Stanford is not Michigan when it comes to sort of the priority it puts on football and the history of football is very different. But I, I do think until last year when they had a little bit of a turnaround in the shortened pandemic year, there was and probably still are some questions about where is Stanford now and can they ever get back to sort of the peak of what Shaw, Harbaugh and Shaw and really Shaw extended it even farther were. So, you know, give me a give me a sort of like state of the union on on Stanford football right now. Well, I find Stanford fascinating because, yeah, as you said, you know, I come out, I moved out to the Bay Area in 2004, the end of the Buddy Tevens era, then the Walt Harris era, which was just got, you know, they lose to UC Davis at home. They go one and 11 the next year. And then, you know, Harbaugh turns it around and Shaw, you know, maintains it and takes him even maybe slightly a little higher um, when he gets there. But I just, but Stanford fans, you know, you look back 2019 is when it sort of really dropped off, but Stanford fans have been frustrated. At least the second of them have been frustrated even longer with with Shaw, which just blew me away when I would first hear Stanford fans like complaining about about him. And he does some like weird in game decision making and things like that, but you know, to me, the way he's but what he's done building that program has been great. Right? He's done a fantastic job, and whatever you want to quibble with in game coaching moves, totally fine. Um, you know, some of them I, I don't get, and you know, punting from the 35 yard line and things like that sometimes. And, you know, yeah, he, he can be a little odd that way. He, he, he um, is very frustrating when it comes to those things, especially right. like, you know, like I, Josh is very much, a, takes an analytical bent to football and sports in general, much the way I do. So I, I am positive as much as I admire what Shaw has done with that program. Yes, there are the, the, the style in which he plays, I find frustrating and not optimal. <laughs> yes. But given all that, you know, it, to me, it's hard to criticize the job he's done. I know there's definitely a level of frustration with Stanford fans about it, but you know, that's a, you know, 2019 is bad, but you know, they, you know, there was some, you know, the quarterback gets hurt. Walker little gets hurt. The league one, you know, okay. It's a bad year. He basically had one bad year. He's been coaching. What is it now? It's 10 years. And he's had one bad, one bad season, a couple okay seasons and a bunch of really good seasons. So, um, yeah, I do think it's, you know, it's hard to maintain it at Stanford. What, know, is he going to be able to keep bringing in top player and things like that? You know, he had a stretch, if I recall, if I recall where he was bringing in like really highly regarded recruiting classes. He had a couple of years where he did that. Um, yeah, like top 20 classes when you can only sign you know, 14, 15, 17 guys, you know, because it was part of the, the, the ratings for recruiting are right. are quantity based right if you only sign 18 guys it's going to be hard to build up your your star ranking but they were still putting out top 20 classes even with not having a lot of guys because you know it's not like it not like at other schools there's no attrition at stanford like (laughs) guys guys don't leave early you can't you know so a lot of times you can only fit so many players coming in uh in your in your recruiting classes and good luck and good luck getting uh, grad transfers into Stanford. Yes, you actually get into Stanford graduate school first before you can be the grad transfer. They've had, I think, one. Uh, they got one. Uh, Brennan Scarlett came over from Cal as a grad transfer, but you know that's not that's not a real good avenue um, 
to get it to get into Stanford. You know, if you can get into a Stanford graduate school, it's you know it's a pretty small segment of the population. So, um, so it's you know, but I think it was like, right. I believe it was like the Walker Little Davis Mills recruiting class. Like those when those guys came in, like in a couple of years, where those were top national recruits that he got. And for whatever reasons, injuries, other things, you know, they didn't sort of maintain the level, you know, of the Kevin, you know, the Christian McCaffrey stretch where they were, you know, playing in Rose Bowl you know, three out of four years going to the Rose Bowl and really being the best team in the, in the back 12 for a stretch. And, and in some of those, you know, they had a couple of years just, just, just how different things are. You know, if the playoff starts a few years earlier, there are probably two or three years where they're at least in the mix and possibly into a 14 playoff, but in the BCS era, they, couldn't get the top two. Um, you know, I have a hard time believing they can get back to that level consistently. That's just, there are only a handful of schools that can do that year in, year out. Um, but, you know, in terms of being back to a, you know, eight, nine, 10 win team and, you know, maybe make a Rose Bowl every once in a while, you know, they should be able to, to maintain that with Shaw. I think he's, you know, a good enough coach and, you know, he can still recruit and, and do all that, but I don't know about getting into, you know, they had a, what is it? You know, they had a, they had a run there where they were pretty highly ranked for a bunch of years in a row. Um, and that's going to be hard to maintain. I do wonder, cause you know, the only, the other thing that would happen is Stanford would have a great year and we'd hear all these rumors about Shaw going to the NFL, which I don't think he ever really took seriously no, or he no. ever he ever gave serious consideration to because you know he's a stanford guy i i think his family really liked being at stanford and his wife really, i mean it was just there was a lot of reasons not to, i know i i you know i don't have his bio i don't know how old his kids are now but i do wonder if at this point if he were to have another really good season and knock out a 10 win season which is you know in college football these i mean you know 10 wins is a good season, but 10 wins is a little more attainable in today's college football than it was, right. you know, back in Bo's day, right? Yeah. But so I, I do wonder if, if he was able to sort of knock out a 10 win season and maybe some of those NFL calls started coming in again. If at this point, maybe it would be almost like the best case scenario for everybody involved, right? He maybe could finally sort of like decide, you know what? I'm going to give this NFL thing a try. Um, you know, I, I doubt Stanford wants to, you know, we talk about sort of the Michigan way and how Michigan might not have won a fire. Like I, I, it's so hard for me to even comprehend the idea of Stanford even thinking about firing David Shaw. Uh, like how many bad years would Shaw have to have before it got so bad that, that, that he would burn, not, he would burn his credibility. So I just, it's, it, it's fascinating to me. I, like in one way, in some ways, I think, well, Shaw could just be at, he could be a 20 year coach, right? He could just be at Stanford for 20 years, but that's so unusual in today's college football. And it's so hard to maintain a high level at Stanford that you just sort of wonder, like, what's the exit strategy here? How does this end? in a way where everybody gets to be dignified because that would be the Stanford way. Right. Yeah. I think the, I always thought he'd eventually end up in the NFL. Um, but not, I don't think he's ever entered, you know, seriously entertained at any point yet, but I still think that that path is there. Um, I think it would have to be the right place, the right team, the right city, the right owner. Um, I think he'd be very picky about it. Um, but it's possible, you know, as the kids get older, he's more willing to move on. If, Get, winning at Stanford is becoming harder and harder. You know, 
he might become less picky. You know, that, that's definitely possible. Um, I would guess that he will be coaching the NFL at some point in the next, you know, handful of years. Um, and I think, I think he'll get Stanford back to being that, you know, eight, nine, possibly 10 win team too. And I think he's a good enough coach that they'll be back at that competitive. You know, I don't, I don't think that four and eight season in 2019 is where they're headed for the, for the long term. The, um, the other interesting thing I wonder with Shaw is because again, he, he, he sometimes coaches like it's 1978, right? And it's just, it's, it's a different kind of ball. And I do wonder if that, you know, that's not really, it, it's funny. We used to, we, we kid around that, oh, he'd be perfect for the NFL kicking. 19 yard field goals and punting from the, you know, from inside the 45, the plus 45. But quite frankly, the NFL is moving away from that to a certain degree. NFL teams are becoming more aggressive and understanding that, you know, you need to open things up a little more, um, as far as strategy is concerned. So I do wonder if that is something that like that that could possibly hold him back in the NFL or if he's just again like a very good leader uh, a very smart person who probably has a very good sort of overall you know look at how an organization is supposed to be run because that's really the most important thing and that sort of overcomes anything else but I do wonder if his strategy which we, 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 we which we pick at a lot now all of a sudden becomes an issue for the NFL I think the bigger issue with those is it just seems like a lot of people in the NFL want to hire the hot offensive coach, play caller, things like that. And mm-hmm. the CEO coach is less, and he'd be more in the CEO coach role, is less of a, you know, you know Matt Rule is more in that role and, and got the and got the job in Carolina. And I think there's still teams that will go that direction, but I think the issue is more that I think a majority of the teams in the NFL want to hire, still want to hire the okay, the hot play caller who's going to develop the quarterback and have the flashy offense and things like that. And then not have to worry about the offense coordinator leaving and replacing him every three years if you have success. And so I think the issue will be finding a team that wants more of a CEO style coach than a, than the play caller coach. And then, you know, I, you know, I think he can probably evolve a little bit on the play calling and the, the strategy. Um, you know, he, he's smart. Like he, he, he can, you know, he, he's weird about it though. Cause he goes, he has weird, where he's much more aggressive when they're winning than when they're losing in a weird, like he'll go for it on fourth down. If they're winning and it's like fourth and one from the plus 38, he'll go for it. And if they're losing, he'll punt. It's like a weird mm. strat. Like, and it's, it's, and he has an explanation where, like he's much more aggressive winning than losing. I don't, there's some weird things. So it's like, like, he's definitely got a different look at it than, than some people I'll say. Um, but you know, I, I, I think the bigger issue will be whether, if you want to, the hot play caller, offensive guru type, you know, that's not going to be, you know, you're not going to go for David Shaw. If you want to see a coach in the NFL, I think he can be very good at that. I think, I think you, I, I would definitely, so, as many quibbles as I might have with some of the in-game strategy, I, th- I think he could be a good NFL coach. Yeah. And, and the, uh, the other thing I've always find interesting with, because listen, they built their brand and their program on this, um, on physicality, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I being, 
uh, at, at being simply tougher and stronger. And, and that worked great for a, a while. And again, now the, now Oregon, quite frankly, is sort of taking some of that identity from them, but it's, it was a great deal for Stanford when they were able to sort of bully around Oregon and bully around USC, which has been a big problem for USC and the reason why that rivalry flipped for a few years. Yeah. Um, but I also found my, also, I will often find myself thinking like, you know, every fourth and one, doesn't have to be a statement about your program. Like you can occasionally <laughs> run a play action. Like, like if you, I, I understand like they love to do like the big, the jumbo sets, right, the jumbo, jumbo package. Yeah. <laughs> but, but at some point, like I think everybody's seen it and you know, like, like it's it just really hard to knock somebody off the line when they've seen it a thousand times. So, uh, again, it, it, for all the, for all the admiration I have is for, for Shaw as a coach, they definitely do some weird things in game. And of of course, you know, I'm just, you know, flipped up their schedule this year. Stanford always plays tricky schedules, right? Because Notre Dame yes. is always on that schedule and they will often slip in another power five team. Now, listen, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt might be good. They've just invested $300 million or, or committed to invest $300 million in the athletic department at Vanderbilt, but they're not going to be good next year. <laughs> so, so that should be okay for Stanford. But Stanford starts the year in Arlington against Kansas, against State. Kansas State. Yeah. yeah. They, and, they don't play. Every game they play next year is a power five, Notre Dame or power five. They don't have a single group of five game next year. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's not helping their cause either. But, but anyway, again, no. I, I, I am, and, and, I they, and they have to play USC the way the Pac 12 schedule is. They play USC and UCLA every year. Right. UCLA, maybe less of it, but, you know, but they never, they never get the break from USC. So they play USC, Oregon, and Washington every year and Notre Dame. So those four on the schedule every year is not an easy. Easy way to start. Okay. So I want to shift over before I let you go to two other things. So one of the things I, I will recommend to my listeners, so to, to follow Josh at Josh Dubow, uh, so Josh D-U-B-O-W-A-P on Twitter. At Josh Dubow, AP on Twitter. Uh, first of all, he's, he, he gives a lot of, he's got a, a lot of really good insight, especially on the teams that he covers. Uh, secondly, again, Josh, bit of an analytical mind, also is a, a well person who dives into research. So he always comes up with lots of big, great nuggets. Um, uh, f- for all, again, not just the teams he covers, but all sports. Uh, thirdly, what has become a very entertaining part of my pandemic, <laughs> if, if you want to call it that, um, as you spend more time online and, and more time just staring at screens, is Josh has fought an interesting battle over the last year or so with Raiders fans about just how good Derek Carr is. And I, quite frankly, am, was surprised to see that there are this many Raiders fans who are really in on Derek Carr. Like, like usually uh, he's the type of quarterback I find like teams fans will underrate. Like he's a pretty good player and they don't give him quite enough credit because they, because the team isn't good enough. But at least through the prism of your Twitter feed, it seems like I see a lot of Raider fans who are really in on Carr and think that he is undervalued uh and it but and 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 it's a lot of josh like firing stats out and and nuggets to fend off raider fans who are sort of standing for Derek carr uh what's this been like for you for the last year or so it's been entertaining i my friend paul gutierrez who covers the raiders for espn and has written books on the raiders and really knows the organization has called carr the most polarizing figure in in raider history and it's 
this year. I mostly respond to the, the, the car backers who think he's right there with Breeze and Mahomes and Brady and just give him a better defense and he'll be winning Super Bowls every year. But there's the other segment that's, uh, you know, that thinks Carr is the worst quarterback in the NFL. Like, no one will properly, very few people properly rate him. It's either it's like, okay, he's the worst quarterback we've ever had, you know, like, or he's a Hall of Fame quarterback who's being held back by the organization. No one's like, you know what? He's been an average to the last, you know, last year an above average, some years a little below average, but you know, that middle, that middle tier of quarterbacks for most of his career. And that's kind of where he is. And it's just interesting that fans are on both sides, you know, are in the polls of it, but no one, very few are like, okay, he's okay. And I guess, you know, my feeling is it doesn't do you much good to have the quarterback who, who's there. Like you're not going to, in today's NFL, where the quarterback is so important, they, if you don't have one of those top five, you know, Kyle Shanahan was on a Zoom with him yesterday uh, you know, after their trade, and you know he put it pretty well. It's like basically, if you don't have one of those top five quarterbacks, you know, you're not going to be able to compete for Super Bowls year in year out. And so that's why you know they traded; they're willing to trade three first round picks to go get the number three pick in the draft and hope that either Justin Fields or Mac Jones or Trey Lance is, is one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't do you much good to be stuck in the middle. Now you obviously have been stuck not in the middle, like as a Jets fan, <laughs> right. the, the middle wouldn't be so bad based on what you guys have had. Um, so, and, and that's sort of the, a little bit of the Raider fan mentality is that the quarterback play between Gannon and Carr was so bad outside of like a little stretch where Carson Palmer was okay. And a little stretch where Jason Campbell was okay. But basically, you know, it was like Matt McGloin and Terrell Pryor and Jamarcus Russell and Andrew Walter and, Kerry Collins at the end of his career, toward the end of his career, and Bruce Gradkowski. Like it was bad quarterback play for, you know, 12 years before Carr, or 11 years before Carr, 11, 12 years before Carr got there. So for some, it's like, okay, oh, this, what a revelation. We have a quarterback who's actually capable. Like this is, this is, this is great. And he's young and, you know, and we can build around him. But you're not going to compete with the Chiefs and the Bills with Josh Allen the way he's playing year in, year out, and be able to contend for, Super Bowls and AFC Championship games. If you don't have a quarterback who's in the top five, hey, there might be a year you hit on it. You got a great defense. Your quarterback, gets, you know, Case Keenum with the Vikings took him to the NFC Championship game and well, had a really great Garoppolo roster around a couple of years ago, right? Right, yeah, but it's, it can happen a year here, a year there. But if you want to compete, and you need a top five quarterback, basically at this point, like it's hard to do it otherwise. And the easiest way is a top five quarterback on a rookie deal. When you can do that, like Mahomes was the last couple of years, then you're really in great shape. Now you can spend money everywhere else. But you know, you look at the Raiders with Carr. You know, my feeling with him is, he, he, you know, he was fine last year. But do you have any confidence? If you're a Raider fan, do you have any confidence that John Gruden could put together a roster that will be good enough to go to to compete for a Super Bowl with Derek Carr at quarterback? Mm-hmm. So. Um, and you know, and the fans on there who you've seen it, who you know, comparing him to Breeze and comparing him to Mahomes. And this week it's, you know, Carr is the greatest quarterback in Raider history for some people, like better than Stabler, better than LaMonica, better than Gannon. And, you know, it's just, oh, if only he had a defense, if only he had Hall of Famers around him, if only he had this, only he had that. And it's like, you know, take all that away. Like, I get. I get that the Raiders of the 1970s, 60s and 70s were much better roster than the Raiders of the of the Carr era. But it doesn't change the fact that LaMonica and Sable are better quarterbacks than Carr. Like that, you know, that's the part I don't. If you're only measured by how how bad how bad the rest of your roster is, Andrew Walter would be the greatest quarterback in Raider history if we're going two and six with the 2006 Raiders, who were as bad a football team 
I got to cover Stanford and the Raiders in 2006. And I thought I was going to cover for a, a little while. I thought I was going to cover two winless teams um, <laughs> in one season, which would have been impressive, but the Raiders ended up winning two and Stanford ended up winning one. So the, the interesting thing about sort of the car debates that I see on your timeline and it, it's sort of a, I find it to be like a lack of awareness on two levels. It's a lack of awareness that the game is very different now. So you, you right. pretty much need to punt all the stats. Like there, there is no statistical category in which Carr will not outshine Ken Stabler because it's, it's dead ball era. It's like comparing, you know, to dead ball era baseball. Like it just, it's just not the same sport. Everything is completely skewed. There are going to be guys like Carr are going to retire with what will look like quote unquote Hall of Fame numbers because of long careers played in this era. Right. So, eh, you know, so, so, so the stats will always be skewed, but also again, sort of that lack of understanding of, of, of surrounding talent, right? And the idea that, so, so on, from a statistical standpoint, Carr will always look better or really modern quarterbacks will always look better. But there is something to be said for, you know, sort of like the team around you and sure, things along right. those lines. And, and, and the fact that the Raiders, you know, again, like were, were just, were a force of nature in, in the seventies and eighties when we were sort of growing up. And that's the other thing I want that, like it's, it is really, I think again through your timeline, I I am I it becomes crystal to me or crystallizes that my God the Raiders have been bad for a long time. Yeah, like it's, it's eighteen just, years. They it's have just been the, incomprehensible. It's the, Browns. the Browns have been the only team worse for the last eighteen years. That's a long period of time. <laughs> and really, if if you and to a certain degree, the Gruden era was almost a bit of a blip too, because they weren't that. If I remember correctly, they they had a bit of a down period heading into the Gruden era. Yeah, so basically through eighty five. So that's like our childhood, mm-hmm. like from when Al Davis got there in sixty three through nineteen eighty five. They losing the Patriots in the playoffs that year, but but they were like twelve and four or something that year and really good. They were, you know, the best record in professional sports and this and that. And then it sort of trends down. They go to the AFC championship game and get blown out by Buffalo in the nineteen ninety season. They have a couple of playoff seasons in their last couple of years in LA. You know, or aren't very good when they get to Oakland and have a uh, a three year run in Oakland with uh Gruden's two years and then Bill Callahan. Where the AFC Championship game, the Tuck Rule game, and then go to the Super Bowl, and that's it. Yeah, but basically, for 35 years, outside of that one three-year run in the early 90s with Art Shell when they were okay, um, it's been it's been pretty bad. Um, and it's just amazing, you know, growing up when the Raiders were a great team, and then you know, fans are like satisfied with eight and eight, and like, mm-hmm. hey, but we improved from seven and nine last year. This is good. We're trending in the right. It's like. Eight and eight. Don't be satisfied with eight and eight. Like, um, I, I just weird. I, it's they've been so beaten down that any any little encouragement, and then they and then and I get fans take things personally and whatever. Like, and they probably go further in their defense because they feel like you're attacking their family, basically, when mm-hmm. you attack their player. So they probably go a little further than they actually really believe mm-hmm. in their defense because they're so you know defensive of it. But 
um, it, it's, it's been entertaining. It's been entertaining. Uh, it's been about 13 months of this back and forth now. So it's been entertaining for me. Right. And even though the, we'll wrap this up, even though the Raiders have moved out of the Bay area to Las Vegas, uh, Josh was still sort of on Raider beat last year and maybe not as, as deeply as he would have been. And because things have been remote, he has still been on Raider beat. That might change AP wise, uh, in the coming years. But as of right now, even though the Raiders have left, uh, Josh has not left the Raiders. So, Hey, Josh. And, and, I, and, and oh. I go back to Derek Carr is Fresno Day. I got to cover him his last year in Fresno. That's a good point. I had six six trips to Fresno that year because they were so good. So <laughs> I got to see, see a bunch of him that year. So yeah, I, I go back with Derek a long way. So. Josh Dubow is an AP sports writer uh, based in uh, San Francisco area, uh, covers pro sports uh, and a Michigan alum. So, hey, Josh, I really appreciate you joining me today talking about all things Michigan and Harbaugh. Uh, I, I, I'm promising the listeners I think we're going to peel off of Harbaugh for a while. Uh, I wanted to get <laughs> one really good Harbaugh show in through the offseason. Maybe we'll circle back around on him when it comes to uh, uh previewing the big 10 but we've sort of got harbar <laughs> off our chest and i appreciate Good. you helping me do that josh there we go and hopefully the next time we can discuss harbar it'll be after a win over ohio state so <laughs> could be a while josh could be a while. <laughs> <laughs> well either be that or it's firing probably. One, one of those two but no the win over ohio state this year it's this is the year ralph <laughs> thanks josh talk, talk to you later thanks And now, three and out. First down. We're recording this show the day before the Supreme Court hears arguments in the NCAA's appeal of an antitrust case it lost a couple of years ago. I don't want to bore you too much with details about the Alston case, but in talking to lawyers, I think the best way to sum up the arguments that the Supreme Court will hear might be this way. The NCAA wants this case to simply be about what entity is best suited to make the rules that govern college sports. The NCAA, of course, contends it is the NCAA and that it does so in compliance with antitrust laws. The plaintiffs see this more as putting the NCAA's definition of amateurism on trial with a chance to bring down the whole system. I have no idea how this plays out, but I will say this. History suggests that even when the NCAA loses, it does so in ways that force incremental changes to college sports rather than inflicting a devastating blow that its harshest critics often desire. Second down, reports popped up last weekend that Wisconsin AD Barry Alvarez would be announcing his retirement soon. Alvarez's transformation of the Wisconsin football program in the 1990s was remarkable. If you're interested in learning more about it, go find the book Red Ink to Roses by Rick Tellender. Even more remarkable has been Wisconsin's ability to sustain its success. Yes, it helps a lot that the Big Ten has turned into a money printing machine, but Wisconsin doesn't have the natural recruiting base to sustain the level of success it has over the last 30 years. No football program in the country has developed and maintained an identity better than Wisconsin. Knowing what you are and how to max out the best version of your program is vital in college football, unless you're Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia, and you're just pulling in five-star recruits from all over the place. The Badgers have done that. Identify what works best better than any school, and Alvarez deserves much credit for creating a culture and an identity that has endured through 30 years of him coaching and being the athletic director in Madison. 
I am wondering if there's any chance we can arrange for Barry to coach one more Rose Bowl before he goes. Third down. Speaking of college football's great architects, Howard Schnellenberger died recently at 87. Schnellenberger launched the Miami dynasty, winning maybe the greatest college football game ever played in 1984, the Orange Bowl against Nebraska. He then built the foundation of which Louisville football would help the school ascend to the ACC. He did have one lost season at Oklahoma before undertaking another building job at Florida Atlantic. He is in many ways the founding father of three FBS programs, but because he took on so many extreme makeovers and project programs, his career winning percentage of 514 makes him ineligible for the College Football Hall of Fame, which requires at least a 600 winning percentage for coaches to be eligible. So I have a lot of sympathy for the folks that run the College Football Hall of Fame. For years, it was run like an old boys club with not a lot of legitimacy. Over the past two decades, that has changed and has done a much better job of inducting lots of players from lots of schools in a way that really honors the sport's history. But there are just so many worthy candidates, I can understand trying to come up with some baseline requirements. I get it, but the problem is occasionally that leads to a glaring omission. Howard Schnellenberger is a Hall of Famer. There are plenty of coaches who had better records and more titles, but Schnellenberger ushered in a new era of college football. He is synonymous with a historic shift, not just in the way the game was played on the field, but where the power programs would be located. The Hall of Fame needs to figure out a way to induct Howard Schnellenberger. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Sarah McCrory, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Westwood One Podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you have a question that you'd like me or my guests to answer, email them to aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. That's the digits, 25 aptop25mailbag at gmail.com. We love to hear from you on all topics, college football, serious or silly. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast.